Good luck. <laughs> That's why we have Chris. <laughs> um, so we're in the book of Daniel. Many of you know that. If you're new here, we're in Daniel. Uh, I believe the page number is on the bulletin. You can use one of those white Bibles in front of you if you uh, do not have one. And if you do not have a Bible, you can take that Bible and it will be your Bible. Uh, that is our gift to you. The title today is The Truth That Perseveres Us. And we've been in Daniel, and what we know is that Israel ha- has rejected God, that they've stopped following God, they begin worshiping false gods, and so God brought judgment upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar with Babylon came and defeated Israel. And we know from chapter 1 that that was God's will, that God actually gave Israel into his hands and that they went into exile. And what we see uh, for the most part in the first half of the book is how Daniel and his friends like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they stood firm in their knowledge of God and persevered as in exile through persecution, through suffering. And now, as we move to the second half of the book, kind of going from chapters 7 through 12, the focus moves off of Daniel and his friends, and the focus kind of goes towards the future, and it says, for future believers, and it encourages us to persevere in our trust and our knowledge of God. And the overall theme is that there is a God who rules and establishing his kingdom. And because of that, we can persevere in our faith because he is ruling and he is in control and he's giving us all the grace that we need. And so we are in this second half. In fact, next week we will finish Daniel. We will preach chapter 12. And so go ahead and be in preparation for that. But today we're going to look and how we persevere. And the main point, as Christians, we can persevere because our God rules and promises to use the evil, the pain, the suffering around us for our everlasting joy and his amazing glory. And so I want us to see this today. And so one thing we do here is we stand when we read God's word. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. Uh, we do so because God's word comes with his full authority and inspiration. Now, we are in a little bit longer passage. We're going to go from chapter 11, verse 21, all the way to chapter 12, verse 4. If you need to sit, that is quite okay. Um, Here we go, verse 21. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their heart shall be, sent, shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land 
with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Katim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and he shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and he shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main parts of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of treasures, of, of gold and of silver, and of all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palladial tents between the, south, between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since, that, since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But, for, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, not, and knowledge shall increase. Let me pray. God, we are in a strange passage. And I know there's a level of confusion even as we go through this, and there'll be a level of confusion even as we, we leave today. But God, we know that your word is good. And we know that you accomplish your will through your word. And so we ask that you would use your word today. Give us understanding by the power of your spirit. Increase our faith. May we see 
that you are not a God who passively just sits by, but you are a God who rules. You are active in all of history. You have ordained events. You have ordained the times of these events. You rule over every moment and every place in all of the universe at the same moment. There is nothing that goes by which you do not know. You are never caught off guard. May we know that. May we rest in that. And may we see that you are accomplishing your plans, that there are times of suffering, there are times of pain, but in those times, you are not off your throne. You are accomplishing your will. Help us to see that. Help us to see the truth that you are a God. And there are things that we do not understand because you are a great, glorious, infinite God. But yet you have given us understanding in many things. So give us that today. In your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. We have read every single word so far in the book of Daniel, and so that is why we are continuing to read every word. Um, I was supposed to probably preface this a little bit ahead before I read that, but last two weeks ago, we were in the first part of Daniel 11, and what we see is that there's a war between the north and the south, and these are kingdoms that come out of uh, the kingdom of Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, he conquered, he conquered Persia, and then suddenly he dies, and out of him comes four kingdoms. Two of those kingdoms are the king of the north, which is Syria, and then the other kingdom is the king of the south, which is Egypt. And so that is the war that we've been in, and the first part of Daniel 11 really focuses on that, and up to verse 20, we see that the king of the north has now taken the upper hand, and they have overcome the south, Egypt. And now uh, Rome has come in, and Rome has made uh, treaties, and Antiochus Epiphanes was held by Rome, but now because of a truce between them and, and Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes has been released. He now comes back to Syria, and, and he is the man that we now begin reading about here in verse 21. And in reality, Antiochus Epiphanes is not much of anyone in world history, but if we look at the people of God and what happened with them in history, he played a very important and impactful role. He persecuted the people of God greatly between 167 and 164. It was basically hell on earth. It was, the, uh, it was Hitler many, many years before as he persecuted, tortured, and slaughtered and killed many of God's people. And if you see verse 21, what we're, so what we're going to do, I want to walk through a little of the history I want us to see that this is, all his, this is all prophecy for Daniel. This is not history. So God's letting him know what's going to happen. And so we're now looking at it in the opposite direction. We have an understanding of what these events are and how they match up to history. And then after we walk through the historical part, we're then going to go, what does it mean? Like, why, why does God give us a history lesson? And so that is the, the way we're going to move about this morning. Verse 21, Antiochus is not the rightful uh, king, but we see that through deceit and flattery, he will become king. In verse 22, it's believed that the prince of the covenant refers to the high priest Onias III, which um, 
which Antiochus had him killed in 171 and replaced him with a man named Jason, who was much more favorable to Greek rule. This was how Antiochus was beginning to influence the people of God and begin to have an effect on them. Now in verse 24, he invades Egypt without warning, and he plunders the treasures. And Ptolemy VI, uh, Philometor, which I think that's how you say it, he was the king of Egypt, and in verse 27, we see that they sit down, and, and they're going to try to come with peace with one another. But if you look at verse 27, as for these two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. So they're both are saying, let's have peace, but their fingers are crossed behind their back, right? They don't want peace. They're looking at, how do we manipulate this guy? So now we get to defeat them and overcome them. And so in verse 27, that's what's happening, um, and in and then we'll see later that Antiochus will suddenly come against them, even though there's truce, and attack them. And in verse 30, I think we see that Antiochus will attack the south. Oh, right, this, was, this is another one. Antiochus will then come later. He will attack the south, but it won't be successful this time because Ptolemy has sought alliance with Rome. And so get this, we, we, have, we have Antiochus, he thinks he's God on earth, basically. He defeats everyone, he's killing everyone, he's ruling as he wants to, and so now Egypt has gotten Rome in on it, and the Roman commander comes and he meets, that, that's what it means by ships of Katim in verse 30. And so we have the Roman commander Gaius Polius Lanus, which I could have completely butchered that, um, and he comes and he meets Antiochus. Antiochus is ready to make war. And so he walks up to him and with his sword, he draws a circle around him. And he says, you leave today or you mess with Rome. Make your decision before you come outside this circle. And so now Antiochus, God on earth, he doesn't want to mess with Rome. And so humiliated, he leaves. Humiliated. Now he leaves. Now, the crazy thing is Israel, the Jews, they think that Antiochus has been killed at this moment. So they're throwing a party. They're gone. Antiochus is done. They're beginning to rebel against his rule. Well, you now have a humiliated king coming back, going to pass through Israel. And these people think he's dead and they're celebrating. Oh, he's ticked off now. And so now he's going to bring hell upon them. And in verse 28, we see his heart shall be set against the Holy Covenant. Verse 30, he is enraged and will take action against the Holy Covenant. This is, this is what happens from 167 to 164. It's three and a half years. He kills over 80,000 Jews. He places a statue of Zeus in the temple. If you honor the Sabbath, if you keep the Sabbath, if you don't work on the Sabbath, you die. He's exterminating everyone who worships Yahweh. Verse 32, we see that there are some Jews who will reject their faith in God in order to survive. You look at that. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. I mean, they're going to leave their faith because they're saying, man, it is better to live and be under Antiochus than die under worship of God. That is their thought process. Beginning in verse 36, though, now this is where it gets difficult. From 36 to 45, commentators, or most of them all believe that we're moving away from Antiochus at this moment. And we're going to some other type of Antichrist figure, someone who 
persecutes the people of God and rejects the rule of God. And, and we believe that we're moving away from the Antiochus here to possibly some future type of Antiochus, some type of Antichrist, possibly one that will come <clears throat> at the end of time. And there are uh, several reasons for that. Um, one is most likely Antiochus does not die between Jerusalem and the sea, but he dies in a mysterious way in 164, going back to Persia, which seems a little bit different than what we read in verse 45, where he pitches his tent between the sea and the glorious mountain, but comes to his end. Verse 37, we're told he rejects the God of his fathers, and that, maybe that applies to him, and we could, we could say it does, but Antiochus was also a devout follower of the Greek pantheon, so he worshipped gods like Apollos and Zeus. So there's debate on that. Beginning in verse 40, we start reading time references like the time of the end, which those don't occur before that. And so starting in verse 40, at the time of the end, at the time of the end, uh, we have those kind of, uh, of references. And so maybe we're looking towards the end time right before Christ returns. Beginning in verse 12, we read about the resurrection of the saints, which we'll get into a little bit later. So it appears that somehow we're looking at Antiochus, the persecution that he's going to bring, and then we're, we're seeing that he's a type of figure who we'll, see, who we'll see again, who will persecute God's people, which most likely there's many of them in history, but there's probably a final type. And at the end of that, we know God will bring, a God will return, his son will return and bring judgment. And we know that those who believe in him will be risen, which is what we see in chapter 12, to everlasting life. And those who do not believe will go to everlasting judgment. So that part's a little complicated. Just that part, though, right? Just that part. Um, so that, that's a little bit of the historical setting. So I want to transition. So, so what's the point? Why is it that we're given this? So far in Daniel, we see that God's people were taken in exile and, and by Babylon. Seventy years later, they're returned from exile. And they're returning home to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. Surely they think God's now going to establish his kingdom and everything is going to go well. <clears throat> but so far, all they experience is suffering. They're not able to rebuild the temple. They're not able to rebuild the walls. Their hopes are being crushed. And, and in Daniel chapter uh, 7, 8, and 9, we see in this chapter there is going to be persecution for God's people all throughout history. And that's what we see. The end is not coming 70 years after they come into exile. And it's not coming after Persia. And it's not coming after Greece. And it's not coming after Rome. But yet we know the time is coming. And so he's saying, persevere persevere uh, through this time of suffering that will take place until the second coming of Christ. So that's what we're going to look at, is persevere. And if you look at um, verse 32, we see that some will violate the covenant, meaning abandon the faith. There are those who will not stand firm in their faith. There are those who will say, you know what? It is better to live than to be associated with Christians than to have this faith in God so they will leave the faith. They will depart from the church because they, they're seeking their survival and their glory and their kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. But if you look at verse 32, we have, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but, 
But now we have a contrast here. But the people of God, but the people who know their God, shall stand firm and take action. So there's a difference here. Those who depart don't truly know God. And there are those who truly know God, and they stand firm. And in verse 33, we're told these people who know God are called wise, and that's who we're going to look at between here and all the way to the end of chapter 12, because we're going to see these wise people keep showing up all throughout this end. And so uh, what, what I want to note it is, what do they know? Like, that's a good question, right? So these people, something they don't know, they don't know God, therefore they're going to abandon the faith. So this is what... So, Take that present day. There's going to be people in church like this who are here who don't truly know God. And the more times get difficult, there'll be many that leave, which we see in the the parable of the seeds, if you know that one back in Mark. Um, But there are going to be those who do know something. They know certain truths about God. They have this saving faith in God, that this grace is about them, and they know who God is, and so they're going to stand firm. That doesn't mean they don't ever stumble. That doesn't mean that they're perfect or sinless, but they, they're going to stand firm in their faith, and so what do they know? And that's what I want to do today. I just want, what do they know? What is God wanting us to see in this passage as he's looking towards the future and saying, in the future, there's going to be difficulty But those who know the truth will stand firm. And now, as we look at it and we see all of this history has been lining up, just as God has called it to, giving giving evidence of God's rule. And now we can see what they actually did know. So there's four things I want us to see today. Number one, we can persevere because the roar of evil is coming to an end. The roar of evil is coming to an end. Notice in verse 36, the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. I think that's appropriate of Antiochus, and if that is also pointing to someone else, that's, a point, that's, that's appropriate to point to any ruler who directly opposes the rule of God and desires to persecute the people of God. They're exalting themselves. They're magnifying uh, themselves. Verse 37, we read, he shall magnify himself above all. And if you look, even at history today, we can easily come and we can find people who have this God-like complex who exalt themselves and believe they're God's gift to man and that they're here to rule through power and oppression. In verse 1145, though, at the very end of the chapter, notice what we read. Whether it's Antiochus or, or someone else, or, or it's meaning to reference to all of them, which, which is probably a good way to look at it, Notice, yet he shall come to his end. So there's this evil, and it's going to persecute the people of God, and it's going to bring hell on earth in many ways, and it's going to look like it wins. It's going to look powerful. It's going to have a powerful roar. But there's a day that roar is going to cease, and it will come to an end. If you go back to chapter uh, 11, verses 3 and 4, The mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. That's Alexander the Great. As soon as he is risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided towards the four winds of heaven, towards the four generals that take over. But not to his posterity. It doesn't even go to his kids. Not according to the authority which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside these. So you got the powerful Alexander the Great 
ruling, conquering, one of the greatest uh, war heroes ever. And yet, his kingdom is just going to be plucked up and gone at God's will. Antiochus, who greatly oppresses the people of God, yet at the time, his, he will die. We saw that in chapter 8, if you remember. We looked at Antiochus, and it looks like he's ruling, and all of a sudden, we're told that he dies suddenly. And here, we see this great, um, this great evil, this great kingdom, this great leader and ruler who's oppressing the people of God, will also come to an end. Chapter 7, we saw that there are four beasts. If you remember that, Daniel's a weird book. There's beasts in there. There's crazy things that are happening. These beasts represent kingdoms of this earth, worldly kingdoms against the rule of God. And, and what we see is this kingdom will rise and it will fall. This kingdom will rise and it will fall. This kingdom will rise and it will fall. Then the fourth kingdom, which is super powerful, it's got these horns. It's got this little horn that will oppress the people of God. And it dies. All of them will pass away. Kings and kingdoms of this world will pass away. Babylon, Persia, Alexander the Great, kings of the north and the south all die. There will be men who think they are God. Or who think that whatever they're establishing will surely last forever. They will oppress others. They will force them to bow down. But their rule will come to an end. We know this to be true. We see it all throughout Scripture. We see it all throughout history. Whatever evil is in the world, whether it be a man or a power, like Greece or Rome or Russia or Korea or parts of the Middle East, they're all temporary. Remember that when you're watching the news. And the anxiety is beginning to build up. And what's happening? Are they in control? No, no, it's coming to an end. Whether soon or eventually. They will come to an end. Whether it's even here, local, bosses, employees, neighbors, there's times that we just have people in our life who are just aggressive against us for no other reason than what we can assume is just that we are believers. And we think, man, how long is this going to last? It's coming to an end. There are religions that persecute Christianity, some violently, and we go, man, it, can we stand? Is it going to last forever? No, it's coming to an end. They may have a loud roar, but they are not God. In the end, they die. We were at a zoo one time, and man, there, there was a lion. And this was a zoo that, I mean, safety wasn't its biggest concern. Like, we got really close to the lions. Really close. To, and those cages, I mean... I don't know that, I mean, I'm pretty sure the lion could reach right through. So, but it was great, too, because you could get so close to the animals. That's why we went all the time with our small kids. And, uh, but one time we're there, and all of a sudden, we're right next to the lion cage. I mean, we're really close to the lion cage. And this lion, do you remember that? Let's out that roar. We all jumped. Everyone, everyone jumped. The guy 50 feet away jumped. We all jumped. I mean, it, it was scary. I don't think I'd ever heard a roar so powerful, so close, that sent chills all the way down my body. And that's how the roar of these evil kingdoms feel like. But they're coming to an end because there is a much greater lion. And we know in Scripture there's the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. And at the cross, we know, we'll look at that, he crushes the kingdoms of this world. 
And we'll see the finality of that. We'll see the consummation of that when he returns his second time to gather all who believed in him. Next point. So number one, we can, we can, we can persevere because we know the roar of these kingdoms, the roar of the evil, the roar of all the oppression. It's coming. It doesn't last. Number two, we can persevere because our God rules over time and events, over all time and events. Look at Daniel 11. Again, we, we've talked about this. It's history for us, but it was future for them. And what's crazy is we can go back and we can just match up events as we know history. We can match up and say, man, as God was predicting these things, or predicting, as God was telling what was going to happen, we see Egypt, we see Syria, we see Antiochus, we see Alexander, we see these kingdoms rising and coming, just as God says that we will, that they will. And so we see that he, he rules, and if we go back to chapter 10, verse 21, this goes back a little bit. So chapters 10, 11, 12 are one unit. Chapter 10 is the introduction. We have Daniel, and, a, and, a, and an angel is going to come to him and give him this vision. Chapter 11 is most of the vision, and, and a little bit of chapter 12. The end of chapter 12 is the conclusion of the vision and the book. So that's how it works. So if we go to chapter 10, which is setting the stage for the vision, in verse 21, this is what we read. But I will tell you, this is an angel, what is inscribed in the book of truth. And then we go into this vision. So he said, let me tell you what's written in the book of truth. And then he tells us all of these things that are going to happen in the future. And so it appears that God has a book in which he has written already all events in time and history in it. This is why we read references like in verse 27, for the end is yet to be appointed time. Or in verse 29, at the time appointed. Or in verse 35, for it still awaits the appointed time. Or in chapter 12, verse 1, at that time. What we see is that God has not only decreed all events, he has decreed the times in which they take place. And we see this all throughout the Bible. This isn't something new. What we see here is communicated all throughout God's word. In fact, one very popular one, which you probably at least have heard if you don't know, Psalm 139, verse 16, and it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, so there's a book, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We have a God in He's already written all your days, all of my days, all of everyone's days in a book. And he also has this book that he seems to have ordained all the events in history. I'm going to guess that's the same book, this book of truth. I mean, do you know that there's nothing that catches God off guard? Do you know that? Like, I don't think we always operate like that, especially when we get caught up in the news. Like, oh man, could God know about this? Yeah, he knows. He wrote it. Do we understand it all? Not always. He not only knows all things, he's ordained all things. Now, that raises a lot of questions. We all want to get into the sovereignty of God and the rule and the free will and, and what does that look like. But that's not the point of the text. We're given the fact <clears throat> that God rules for a point. We're given it so that it would comfort God's people as they go through history. It's not really meant for us to debate. Now, there's good things to debate and question and wrestle with, but the point is that we would have comfort knowing we have a God who rules. And so there's going to be evil. There's going to be things that we don't understand why it's all happening. But in the same time, 
we know that there's a God who rules, and he's written all of these events down in history. And so it's meant to comfort us so that we can be strengthened and that we can persevere in our faith. We see in verse 32 that there are some who don't know this, and therefore they abandon the faith. They don't think that God is ruling. They don't think that God knows all things. They might conclude that God is weak. They might conclude that God has abandoned them. They might think that God has, has forgot about them. I mean, have you ever wrestled with those thoughts? God, do you know? And it's okay to think that. If you go through the Psalms, wake up, God, right? Like regularly you're crying out, God, do you see? So the psalmist at the time, he feels like, God, how can this happen? You don't know. But what we do know is that God does know that he is working at these times. And there are times it's going to appear that the Antiochus or whatever is, is winning in this world. But what we see is, oh, he is not one. His rule is coming to an end, and God has not abandoned his people. In fact, in verse 35, we see that there is great purposes to suffering. We'll come to that more in a moment. But God gives this vision so that when his people question what is happening, as they progress through history, and they go, we're released, we're supposed to build the temple, we're supposed to rebuild the walls, why isn't it happening? Has our God really been defeated? Was he not strong enough? And then they come back to the word, oh, wait a minute, our God said this all would happen. Oh, maybe, maybe he is in control. Maybe, maybe it's not that these other rulers have defeated him. But maybe he's accomplishing something. We don't quite understand all of it at this moment. Throughout Scripture, we see that our God is good, and he's perfect, and he's faithful, and he's righteous. And so the good thing is when we don't understand all that he does, we can still rest assured that he is good and that he's ruling. Just like our kids, right? They don't understand everything, but what do we say? You know that we're good. You know that we love you. Therefore, you can trust us. And if we can say that to our kids, and we're sinful, how much more can our Heavenly Father, who is absolutely perfect and righteous in every way, say, look, you don't understand it all, but I've given you a book that you understand a lot. Now trust and follow me. Persevere. Number three, we can persevere because our God has promised we will shine like the stars in the heavens uh, and we'll shine like the stars forever. And we'll look at this again next week. But chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 3, uh, we see this resurrection. And in 12.1, we see that there will be a time of tribulation for God's people in the future. But then we notice these words of comfort. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. There's this book again. We've already seen that God has a book of truth that has all the events, big and small, written down on it. This may be the same book. It may be a different book. I'm just going to say it's a different book. And, and let, me, let me read a text that says why I think it's a different book. Or it's the same book with different titles. You can decide. Um, Revelation 20. So I just want to read a section there. And we're going to read about this book of life. Revelation 20, verse 11. I want to see the similarity between this passage and what we have here in Daniel 11, or Daniel 12. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Doesn't that kind of intrigue you now to like read the Bible and find out all these books that are written in it? 
Then another book, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. The death and ha- then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. But then, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a lot of questions, a lot of things there. But notice, there's a book of life. If your name is written in the book of life, you do not go into the judgment Go to chapter 12, and what we have, but at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. I get it. There's questions that we have about this, and we see that those who believe in Jesus, whose names are written in the book, they go to everlasting life, and in chapter, verse 2, they will shine like the stars. I think that's verse 3. They shine like the stars, and verse 2, if they don't believe in Jesus, they will awake to everlasting shame and contempt. Amen, Amen, but it's scary though too. There is a judgment. There is a resurrection. It's it's amazing and glorious there's a resurrection. Those who believe in Jesus, we know, oh, on that day, our name is in the book. we We might fall by sword, we might fall by tribulation. We might fall. But it doesn't matter because if our name is in the book, we rise. And we know our name is written in the book if we believed in his son. But those who do not believe in the son, what we're told is that there's a resurrection for them too. But it's not to everlasting life. It's not to shine like the stars. It's to experience the full wrath and judgment of God. And so hear this. There are a lot of things important in this life. Your family, your hobbies, your bank account, your job, your pets, your likes, your dislikes. Those are all really important things. But none of them are more important than knowing, have I trusted in Jesus? Our belief in God is of paramount importance. Our belief determines, are we spending eternal life with Christ or separated from the love of God? Now you might say, I don't believe that. Um, But if something is true, it doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. If it's true, right? It's still true. So if if you want to say, I don't believe that, then then you'd still need to wrestle. Okay, there's a man named Jesus who's fully documented in history, whether you're an atheist or a believer. And, and, And we have all of this documentation, whether in the Bible or out of the Bible, it talks about how he lived and things that he did. And we have the fact that he died, and there are people who so much believe that he died and rose that they gave their life to preach the gospel, even if it cost them their life. So we have to say, okay, if there's these people that saw Jesus, that that saw him do all of these things, and they risked their life to, to share the gospel, were they just confused? Were they taken in by a hoax? Or is it true? And today, we have to say, if this is true, if God's word is true, then it does matter my view of Jesus. And so if you say, look, I don't believe that, okay, you still have to reckon, how do you understand the Bible? 
How do you explain the events that take place? How do you understand the disciples and the conviction that they had from mere fishermen and many uneducated people to the fact that they spoke eloquently by the power of the Holy Spirit with great crowds risking their lives and off to death and seeing the gospel spread so that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus. So if you don't believe, you still have to figure out why you don't believe. You can't be careless and just say, well, I, I, just don't, I just don't believe. That's not good enough. You have to know, how do you reckon these events? So I would encourage you to come and pray according to the Scripture and say, God, help me understand. I would love to talk to you. There's men here who would love to talk to you. There's many, many people here who would love to talk to you. There's nothing more important than trusting in Jesus. Men, women, when we, when we shepherd our children... Man, sports are great, education is great, but there's nothing more important than do they know Jesus? There's nothing more important. You will sacrifice much for your kids' education and their sports and everything else. That's great. That's, I mean, that, that's great. Do it. But may they know that all fails and pales in comparison to our desire for them to know Christ. Because there is a day coming when Christ returns and all judgment will be swallowed up or all evil will be swallowed up and only those who have trusted in Christ will rise to everlasting life. Um, last point. We can persevere because our God promises that suffering is not meaningless. Look at verse 35. Some will stumble. There's going to be stumbling. There's going to be Christians who stumble. Probably means die here. Could mean just fall into persecution and stuff like that. Maybe not quite death. Uh, but definitely death is included in it. There will be st some who stumble. They'll receive some help. That may, re re that may refer to the Maccabean Revolution back then. Uh, there will be some uh, wise but notice in verse 35, some of the wise shall stumble. That, so, so now we have purpose, so there's a reason for it. So that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. There's, there's a purpose. So we know there's evil, we know there's pain. It's not chaotic, so the question isn't, is God, is God powerful enough to stop it? Yeah, He is. But He has a purpose. I don't always like that purpose, <laughs> straight up. I'd like to avoid this purpose a lot of times. Um, but it's so that we'd be made, made like Him. So that we would be purified, refined, and made white. So let me just, let me just read two other texts. Just two texts. 1 Peter 1. 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Difficulty is on you so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, refined, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here in Daniel, there's a purpose to suffering. Here in Peter, there's a purpose to suffering that uh, it will result in the glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, this is what it says. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So all throughout Scripture, we see God's people will suffer, and yet there is purpose to all of this suffering, and it is for our good, because he's using it to increase our hope, refine our faith. It's being used to grow us in our love and to remind us that this world is not our final home. Because if we don't know that, we abandon this faith. That's what they did when we come back to verse 32. Why did they leave? This world is more pleasurable, offers more than what God offers. So they counted this world better. But if we know this world's going to burn, if we know nothing in this world will actually last, is that the good investment? I mean, think about it. If you know this world's going to last forever, full of joy, full of peace, full of glory, full of happiness, you're going to shine like a star? Or this one, which is going to burn? Which one do you want? So which one do we invest in? But if we don't know the truth, we invest in this one. Which is why people walk away from the faith every day. Every day. And there may be people here, and that scares me that there might be people here who would do that. That's why we do things like men's retreat and stuff like that. We want to grow and solidify ourselves in the Word so we can shepherd our families well. But let us take hope in trials, whether they come upon us because we're Christians or whether through difficulties of a job, marriage, parenting, health, whatever it is, God uses them. They're not outside of His control. We might not understand why, but we have a good, righteous, holy, faithful God promises he's using him for your good you must know that um so two things as we close just two things um, we must remind ourselves of these truths on a daily basis in order to persevere in the faith we must remind ourselves of these truths on a daily basis we do that several ways Number one way. Know this word. Know, this word is investment in your life as it grows you and refines you and prepares you for suffering. Know the word. Prayer. We need prayer. Prayers as we trust. Prayers that we trust that God keeps his promises. Oh, evil's coming. Prayers that he that, that God keeps us in the faith. Oh God, keep me in the faith as I go through this trial. I trust in you that you're in control. Pray, pray for one another. And bring us to church. So we need the word, we need prayer. We need tr- I need you in my life. You need me in your life. It's almost like a Barney song. I don't like that dinosaur. But we need one. It's true, we need one another. God didn't create it. We think it's tough to be alone. We talked about this at man camp. We think it's tough to be alone, men, right? It's so easy to walk alone. Real men, tough men, they partner with other men. That's what we see in God's word. Women, you do that often better than we do. Maybe not always for the right purposes. But we partner with one another. We lock arms with one another for the persevering of the saints. To remind ourselves of these truths. I think I might have combined.
I don't know what the other one is. I think I wrote the same thing twice. Oh, no. We remind them for the purpose of others as well. Um, just real quick. Verse 33. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. But that says that there's people who know the truth, and they're going to help other, others know the truth. We need one another. I need you to remind me. Don't think, oh, he's the pastor. He knows the gospel. No, I need you to remind me of it every day. You need to be reminded of it every day. We need to remind one another of the truths of the gospel every day because there's these lies in this world that wants to derail us. So we need one another. Do not think that we walk alone. It is hard to share. It is hard. That's one thing, and starting next week, we'll talk more about it. Um, but we want to be a church that practices regularly the sharing of the gospel with one another, what God is doing in our hearts, encouraging one another. And we're going to try to become much more intentional on that even in the future, even what we do here. Uh, but I want to I pray. If you have any questions, you can text them in, and uh, then we'll go on into to communion. Father, Father, I praise you that you're in control. I'm so I'm so glad that you're in control. It brings great joy, brings great peace, great comfort. I surely don't understand all things. But the good news is that you do. You see everything. There is nothing that you don't see. There's nothing you don't understand. And so God, help me to trust that. Help us as a church to trust that, that you see, you know, you ordain, and you rule. And there's a day coming, your kingdom will be fully established, consummated in its, all its glory. Your son will return. And Lord, I pray that everyone here who has trusted in you, I pray everyone here has trusted in you, that no one would have that day surprise them. God, may we just know that you rule and that you've given your grace to your son Jesus, that we can persevere. We don't persevere because of our strength, because of our determination, but because of your grace. In your name, Jesus, amen.